But I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, was was really right about this as she was right about so many things. That in a way, Roe v. Wade, you know, kind of meant that the American left won this battle, but now there's really this risk of, of ultimately losing the war. Welcome back to America Explained. I'm your host Andy Gawthorpe and this week we're talking about abortion rights in America. We seem to be on the brink of a really big shift and a very consequential shift in abortion rights provision in America brought about by conservative lawmakers and the current very conservative Supreme Court. In fact, we could be on track to seeing Roe v. Wade overturned as soon as next June, ushering in a new dark age for women's rights in America. That's what I'm going to be talking about in today's episode. As always, if you enjoy America Explained, please consider telling a friend about the show. Please consider also subscribing to the Substack that I also power alongside America Explained. Brings you just a couple of posts a month highlighting really important issues in American politics and foreign policy. I don't spam you, I don't bother you with small fry, but when something big happens, you're going to know about it in your inbox. So please consider checking that out as well. This starting point for any discussion about abortion rights in America today is of course Roe v. Wade, this famous court case from the early 1970s, which established the, the, the right to an abortion in American constitutional law for the first time. Prior to Roe v. Wade, access to abortion had varied depending on the state that you lived in. So some states made it completely illegal. Some states had very, very permissive abortion regimes where it was relatively easy to get an abortion. And then the rest of them fell somewhere on the spectrum in between that. But in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court said that actually it's not constitutional, it's not legal to deny women access to an abortion within, of course, certain limits. So under Roe, these limits were, were called the trimester system. This basically said that within the first trimester, so the first three months of pregnancy, it wasn't legal to deny a woman a right to an abortion at all. Abortion just had to be available during that period. In the second trimester, governments could have some regulations and perhaps some limitations on abortions. But these limitations in the second trimester were only allowed to be put in place if it was designed to protect women's health in some way. So if it was going to be dangerous for a woman to have an abortion during the second trimester, then the state might be able to, to limit and to regulate that. But during the third trimester, abortions would be prohibited entirely. So Roe v. Wade established this system that was much, much more permissive than, than previous systems of, of abortion law within the United States, made it, you know, they, they in a way kind of regulated and, and standardized this for the entire nation so there was no longer such a big difference between various states as to whether there was access or not. And Roe v. Wade also established this uh, this really, really high standard for any uh, any regulation or any sort of limiting of women's access to an abortion that was called the strict scrutiny standard, which basically meant that the courts were going to look really, really closely and not really be that sympathetic to any attempt by state governments to limit abortion access. So, you know, um, 
outside of this three trimester framework. Now, although we always talk about Roe today, actually there was another court case in 1992, which was called Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was just as important as Roe was actually in, in establishing the rules that govern abortion in the United States today. That This case, which is usually just referred to as Casey, did two really kind of key things. So the first thing was that it got rid of that trimester framework and it brought in a new standard, which was to do with a fetal viability. So this said that, you know, we're not now going to regulate access to abortion depending on how many months that the woman's been pregnant, but instead, basically, abortions are okay up to the point that the fetus becomes viable outside of the womb. Now, that was was kind of set down, not actually as a period of weeks or months. It's commonly understood to be about 24 weeks, or at least when Casey was decided, it was understood to be about 24 weeks. Since then, there's been advances in medical science, and, and some fetuses have survived outside the womb when they're even younger than 24 weeks, so it's become kind of this controversial thing. But fetal viability, anyway, understood as occurring about 24 weeks became the cutoff point for access to abortions under Casey. And this is a really important point because this is what the Supreme Court now seems to be looking to challenge is this, this issue of fetal viability. But just put a bookmark for that in a minute and I'll, I'll come back to it um, soon when we talk about the Supreme Court case, which has got everyone rattled at the moment. The other big change that Casey made was that it got rid of the strict scrutiny standard and it put in place something called an undue burden standard. So that basically meant that states were not able to make laws that limited access to abortion if this placed a quote-unquote undue burden on women's access to abortion. But this was actually a, a consequential thing because you might ask, okay, well, what does an undue burden mean? That kind of doesn't really make much sense. And actually, you know, a, a lot of things have been justified as and said to be okay by the courts to limit access to abortion. So a state that we're going to talk about today because it's the center of these current battles over Roe v. Wade is Mississippi. Now, Mississippi actually only has one abortion clinic left in the entire state. And the reason for that is because the state of Mississippi has just made it so hard, so burdensome, so difficult to operate an abortion clinic and to get abortions that basically only one provider is able to stay open in the state. And actually, Mississippi came close to, to closing down that, that provider just basically through regulating it and, and litigating it out of existence. So already under this, this Casey framework, which modified Roe, there is actually very uneven access to abortion in the United States today. Many states, as I mean, it varies, but about half a dozen states at any given time only have one abortion clinic. And that makes it really difficult for women to access abortion, you know, particularly women who are disadvantaged and who may not live in the major metropolitan area where that abortion clinic usually is. And actually in, in 2021, um, many states used the pandemic as an excuse to impose, you know, more and more restrictions on abortion, more and more restrictions on access. So we're already living in this situation where access to abortion is very, very uneven across the country. It's very difficult, particularly in Southern states, for women to get access to abortion. And indeed in Mississippi, abortion has virtually ground to a halt. There are very, very few procedures that have been carried out there anyway. Now, 
Into this scene stepped two big developments this year. One of them was a, a state law that was passed in Texas earlier this year. Now this became kind of infamous and I'm sure you heard about it in the media at the time. It's it's still there, it's, it's still going on right now even though we stopped talking about it so much. This law in Texas was designed to basically ban any abortion that took place after the sixth week of pregnancy. Now, six weeks is before many women know that they are pregnant, and something like 85% of abortions in Texas took place after that six-week point. So if this didn't, you know, entirely ban abortion in Texas, it came pretty close to doing so. And, you know, this was, this was bad enough, but what was really crazy was the way that this law was written and the way that it was enforced. So rather than like Texas state officials actually enforcing this law, so rather than, you know, like the Texas Rangers or something coming and banging down the door to your abortion clinic if you're about to perform an abortion, instead this law empowered private litigants, private citizens, to basically sue anyone in Texas who carried out an abortion on a woman who was more than six weeks pregnant. And then that, that person would be liable to pay a large fine to the person that sued them. And the, the reason for this kind of weird method of enforcement was basically to get around the, the Supreme Court's clear will and intent in the cases of Roe and Casey. So the Supreme Court have said that it's not legal for a state government to limit access to abortion in this way. So Texas thought, oh, well, okay, what we'll do is that we'll design this law in such a way that it's not the state government that's limiting your access to an abortion. It's a private party that's suing you and, and you know, rather suing the abortion provider and forcing them to stop. Now, this was a really, really like weird and quite scary thing that Texas did. And the Supreme Court actually upheld this and they left it in place and said, oh, well, you know, we don't see any problem with this law. Maybe down the line, another case will be brought um, where, you know, we'll rule on this again. But for now, we think that this can stay in place. And it's, it's crazy if you think about it. I mean, there's nothing to stop Massachusetts or California passing a state law that says, if you own a gun, then your neighbor can sue you for $2 million. And imagine what that would do to gun rights in America. So to allow, you know, Americans access to constitutional protections, and, and remember, you know, for as long as Roe v. Wade is on the books, Americans have a constitutional right to an abortion. But the Supreme Court has allowed basically a way for state governments just to take away people's constitutional rights, you know, by just basically holding up their hands and saying, look, it's not me, I didn't do it, while they've just empowered private citizens to, to do that instead. So a really, really crazy system, and this remains in, in place. But it's not even the thing that we're most worried about right now when it comes to abortion rights, you know, even though for as long as this Texas law is on the books and, and operating and it still is operating, you know, Roe v. Wade is, is no longer in existence across the United States because in Texas you can't get access to that constitutional right. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform.
Now, a lot of people kind of thought that other state governments might copy this Texas law, you know, that you could pass this law in Mississippi, you know, you could pass it in Alabama, you could pass it, you know, in Wisconsin through the gerrymandered state legislature there, and you could take away, you know, Americans' constitutional right to an abortion. And this, this might still happen, but I think that actually what has happened is that conservative lawmakers and conservatives in general have become much more focused on a more kind of conventional route which they're pursuing, not just to get this end run around Roe v. Wade, but actually basically just to do away with it entirely. And this is the court case that came up before the Supreme Court last week. So Mississippi passed a state law which would ban all abortions taking place after 15 weeks. Now, that on its own, while a big set, you know, a setback indeed for abortion rights in Mississippi, would not actually be like that big of a deal. 15 weeks is actually um, higher than the limit in many European countries. So, you know, many countries in Europe don't allow abortions after 12 weeks or 13 weeks. And actually very few abortions in Mississippi are taking place after 15 weeks anyway. But when it took on this case, the Supreme Court didn't just say, we're going to decide whether abortions will be banned in Mississippi from 15 weeks. They instead decided to use this case as a vehicle for actually considering the very, very fundamental principles underlying Roe and Casey, these these Supreme Court cases that currently enable constitutional rights to abortion in America at the moment. The exact um, thing that the court has said that it will rule on is the following statement, and that's, quote, whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. So they're taking aim right at this question of whether fetal viability is the point at which it becomes okay to regulate and ban abortion. And they're saying, actually, we may argue that prohibitions on abortion prior to fetal viability, which is about 24 weeks, are going to be constitutional from this point forward. So if this, it's kind of, you know, it's important to understand what it would mean if they ruled in favor of Mississippi in this case. It doesn't mean that the abortion would become illegal across the whole United States, but it would return us to a situation in which individual states could basically make their own decisions about the legality of abortion or not. So basically returning us to that pre-Roe period where access to abortion just differed enormously across various states. Now, there is a, a more aggressive conservative effort um, that, that's underway in some quarters to basically have unborn fetuses be declared as people and then basically to say that abortion is illegal, abortion itself is unconstitutional because then basically you would be violating the right to life of the unborn fetus. But this isn't actually, you know, particularly popular even among the, the conservative justices on the Supreme Court right now. So we don't look like we're heading towards this situation where they're actually going to say abortion is, is unconstitutional and illegal, but rather they're going to say that states can decide what abortion laws should be. And that means that, you know, Mississippi could then ban abortion, Alabama could ban abortion, and you know, etc, etc. And you're going to have this situation then when basically in blue states we have access to abortion, and in red states abortion is illegal. And that means that basically, you know, 
abortions are going to be carried out illegally, women are going to die that way, women are going to have to travel to blue states in order to get abortions, which is going to make it so much more difficult for particularly disadvantaged and poorer women to have access to abortion, you know, which historically we just know means that people seek out those dangerous illegal options. What we heard during the, the hearings for this Supreme Court case last week when the oral arguments were heard was that the judges seem really, really open to the to, to the question of ending the viability standard and doing something that'll really cripple Roe v. Wade. From the questions that we heard the justices pose to the, um, the, the plaintiff and the defendant in this case, it seems like they're going to side with Mississippi, but then go further than that and allow states to place pre-viability limitations on abortion. So what that's going to do is it's going to kick off this enormous political battle then at the federal level and at the state level to pass laws governing abortion. So, you know, liberals are going to want to extend and enshrine in law abortion rights and, you know, they're going to want to enshrine that even in the constitution. I imagine we'll start to see a push for a constitutional amendment that will enshrine the right to an abortion. But on the conservative side, conservatives are going to see that they have this opportunity that they've not had in 50 years or so to restrict access to abortions, pass laws at the state level, pass laws at the federal level, which limit access to abortion. One one thing that this, which, which I think is really interesting, you know, one question that this has people pondering and something that I've definitely been pondering is whether the left's legal strategy on abortion over the last 50 years or so turned out to be flawed. Many liberals were actually critical of Roe v. Wade when it was passed for kind of broadly two reasons. One of those reasons was that the, the constitutional argument that we find in Roe, although it serves an end that, you know, I think all liberals agree is a good end, that there should be access to abortion, the kind of constitutional reasoning that was was used in this case was, was very strange, actually, you know, and it basically said that, um, you know, the right for the, for, to an abortion that exists in American law today actually stems, constitutionally speaking, from the right to privacy, which we find in the 14th Amendment. And when the 14th Amendment was passed um, in the aftermath of the Civil War, certainly no one then thought that this was what the right to privacy meant. It wasn't anything to do with abortions. But, you know, liberal justices kind of came up with this argument and then they derived the right to an abortion from it. But it's all always meant that Roe was on quite shaky constitutional ground, quite shaky legal ground. And indeed, one of its critics was actually Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the you know the the famous um, lawyer who who struck so many victories for women's rights. And she was really worried that by passing um, Roe, by you know by having Roe pass the court, it had kind of just put to an end this movement that was really picking up steam at the time when Roe was passed by liberals to actually enshrine the right to an abortion in law and in the Constitution. But when Roe v. Wade was passed, you know, liberals just kind of dusted their hands and they said okay, great, you know, we, we have this right, it's constitutional right now, of course we need to stay vigilant and we need to protect it, but we don't really need to worry so much about passing laws and, and, you know, winning over public opinion for a constitutional amendment that will really, really make this bulletproof. And that meant that, you know, there was always the risk that the day was going to come that, you know, if, if the, the Supreme Court gives you something, the Supreme Court can take that thing away. And that's what we're stood on the brink of right now. And it's going to kick off this, this political battle that in a way was deferred and delayed by Roe v. Wade over actually passing laws, 
perhaps passing constitutional amendments that govern the right to an abortion. So this is something that I've been thinking about, you know, that I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, was was really right about this as she was right about so many things that in a way Roe v. Wade, you know, kind of meant that the American left won this battle, but now there's really this risk of, of ultimately losing the war. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about American politics, foreign policy and culture for an international audience. Like it? Then tell a friend and help us grow. Another consideration that really needs bearing in mind, you know, is so not just the impact that this decision is going to have on abortion access, as important as that may be, but also its broader implications for American politics and and just the legitimacy of America's political institutions. You know, the Supreme Court is already in this situation where its legitimacy is really, really, you know, intensely questioned particularly by the American left, for, for quite good reason, you know, if, if you consider that Trump was able to appoint three judges to the Supreme Court, e- even though the first of those judges, Neil Gorsuch, was appointed to this seat that should have been filled by Barack Obama in the last year of his presidency, but Mitch McConnell refused to allow Obama to appoint a new judge to the Supreme Court, even though it was his clear right to do so. The next Trump appointment was Brett Kavanaugh, who was incredibly controversial because of the claims that came up about his um, his his abuse of women in the past during confirmation hearings, which were never investigated properly by the FBI. And then the third Trump appointment, Amy Coney Barrett, came in 2020 in an election year, even though Mitch McConnell claimed that he'd established this new rule that in an election year, no new justices get confirmed because the people should have a right to vote and then the new president can appoint a judge. So this is the, the excuse he gave for not appointing Merrick Garland when Obama wanted to do that in 2016. But in 2020, Mitch McConnell just waved through Amy Coney Barrett, gave Trump another judge, even though it was an election year. So, you know, the court, you know, due to this and, and some other recent rulings it's made in other areas, is already really seeing its legitimacy wane and it's becoming very affected by partisan politics, you know. The ju- you know, in truth, the judges have never been above partisan politics, but that link has been recognized so much more strongly than it, it was in, in, in the past. And for a court that's already finding itself questioned, already finding itself cast as a partisan political actor in a way that hasn't happened so strongly for a very long time, for that court then to take away from people a right that they consider to be a very basic human right as well they should, it really highlights this increasing disconnect in American life that exists between the institutions that rule over Americans, like the Senate, like the Supreme Court, like the Electoral College. You know, these institutions are not democratic. They seem to be becoming increasingly undemocratic. And yet people have no redress when these institutions choose to take away their basic human rights. That's a really explosive, dangerous situation, not just for the court, but for America as well. And, you know, when the Supreme Court decides something, when it changes its mind about a really important fundamental question like the access to abortion, it's supposed to do that because something changed, you know, either new evidence or new new legal evidence emerged about the question or society evolved in some way that called for a change in the way that the legal system handled this question. The Supreme Court isn't just supposed to change its mind, 
because now it has some new judges who have a different view on this question and happen to be like super conservative. So there's supposed to be, you know, on the Supreme Court, this respect for precedent, this respect for decisions about important matters that have been passed previously. So for the Supreme Court to come in and just say, well, sorry, now we have an uber-conservative court, so just on that basis alone, we choose to rip up your right to an abortion and take that away from you, it's very, very dangerous for the court to do that. It's not how this court is supposed to operate. And it's really gonna, you know, people, I think, are not going to take this lying down. And that's really, you know, the other thing to consider is that this decision is going to come next June, probably, just a couple of months out from those midterm elections that are taking place in 2022. I think this is really going to turbocharge American politics, you know, if it can be charged, you know, if it can be more aggressive, more hostile, more high stakes than it is at the moment. This bomb going off just before that midterm campaign is one of the few things that could do that and, you know, kind of push American politics to new heights of intensity and craziness. And this, you know, this decision is really going to fire people up. Abortion has typically been an issue that's been, you know, very, very strong and very, very, in the, you know, the foremost minds of many conservative voters. But I think also this is really going to rile voters on the left up as well really probably harm Republicans with um, with women, you know, particularly left-leaning or independent women voters. So this is going to have a huge political impact, not one that I think actually the Republican Party should necessarily welcome. But, you know, even if this leads to a, a monumentally enormous political backlash against Republicans, it's actually really hard to see, you know, with the Senate, with a gerrymandered Congress, how we actually have a path back to restoring Roe, to restoring abortion rights. So that's kind of, you know, really say something about how um, insulated the Supreme Court is from public opinion and, and how powerful this conservative majority on the court is now to really do what it wants to reshape large areas of American life. So, you know, really a, a disturbing development in, in many different ways, not least because it really highlights this increasing anti-democratic turn in American politics. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, um, I hate to end this podcast on a pessimistic note, but I'm really not feeling good about this right now. You know, really not feeling good about what this says about, the, the, you know, not just women's rights, which is something that I care about deeply, but also the, the future of the country in general, which I care about deeply as well. So sorry to end on that note. I'm going to keep on this issue. I think it's tremendously important that we raise public understanding of this issue get information out there. So I'll be returning to this again and again. You know for sure that I'm going to give you an update on this next June when that Supreme Court case finally um, reaches a conclusion, when the decision is issued. I've also written about this topic on the American Explained Substack, so please consider checking that out. Look in the show notes for a link. And I look forward to you joining me again two weeks from now when I'm going to be back with some more great content. So see you then. Goodbye. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Janice Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. See you next time. <laughs>